Welcome to the Robin Report podcast series with host, best-selling author, and CEO of the Robin Report, Robin Lewis. Each show delivers provocative, opinionated, and unbiased conversations about retail, brands, and consumer behavior from industry leaders and experts. For more information about The Robin Report, visit therobinreport.com. Now, let's get started with The Robin Report podcast series. Hello, and welcome to The Robin Report podcast series, episode two. I'm Shelley Cohan, and I will be hosting today's show. Moderated by Robin Lewis, the guests today are Chris Walton and Jan Rogers-Niffen. Before we get started, let me tell you a little bit about our speakers. Robin Lewis is the CEO and founder of The Robin Report. He co-authored The New Rules of Retail and Retail's Seismic Shift. He's had held senior level positions at DuPont, VF Corp, WWD, and Goldman Sachs, and is interviewed across major media. Quite frankly, as an icon in the industry, perhaps a guru, but one thing's for sure, Robin is quite opinionated. Joining him today is Jan Rogers-Niffen, who is a consultant to both retailers and investors um, in retail companies. In addition, he was a former retail executive. Currently, Jan is the CEO of Jan Rogers-Niffen Worldwide and also is a CNBC contributor, appearing weekly to discuss trends in retail as well to discuss current events affecting the stock of publicly traded retailers. Chris Walton is the CEO, co-CEO, and editor-in-chief of OmniTalk. Chris Walton is a leading expert and influencer in omni-channel retailing. As an accomplished senior executive with nearly 20 years of success within the retail and retail technology industries, Chris has had a high-level executive experience across nearly every discipline within retail. Currently, he's the co-CEO of OmniTalk, one of the fastest-growing blogs in retail and third Haas. He's regularly a keynote speaker and a senior contributor for Forbes. So, Robin, I want to get started because I don't know if 30 minutes is enough time, so I'm going to turn it over to you. Well, thanks, Shelley. I don't think 30 minutes is enough time either for with these guys. Anyway, I, thanks, everybody, for joining us. I'm very excited, actually, and honored, quite frankly, to have these two brilliant and <laughs> many times irreverent uh, brainiacs with me today, and I, and I mean that to discuss the issues, the challenges, and in some cases, opportunities uh, for the retail industry as it really struggles its way through the pandemic. Also, a nearly collapsed economy, which is just now clawing its way back. Uh, And on top of all that toxic brew, uh, you know, the possibility of another virus wave. Oh, God, can't keep the civil unrest out of it. And also now we're heading into a, an election season, which we have never seen the likes of. So, guys, here we are about to enter the all important holiday season for retailers. When, as you guys know, in normal times, it accounts for about 30 percent of their annual business. And they're totally unable to predict how this perfect storm will affect the outcome. And by the way, did we even have a back to school season? So, so Jan, I want to start with you. Maybe you can add <laughs> some cheer or humor or maybe more darkness to my grim opening. But uh, very quickly, give us your, 
macro observation on back to school, but then quickly wade into the holidays. And how do you think consumers are going to behave? Uh, what categories of retailers you think will win? And and what will be the cadence of shopping? Uh, is it going to start earlier? Are there going to be any spike ups like uh, Black Friday? So give us your um, two cents on that, Jan. Well, Robin, you know, contrary to popular opinion, we definitely had a back to school season. I think uh, we probably are going to agree now that it was the longest back to school season in history. And it's probably not over yet. We also saw the most back-to-school spending in history, but it was driven by computers, lights, desks, everything else needed for setting up a home study spot for a student. Routers, cables, extension cords, power strips, they were off the charts. So were backpacks and rolling packs, and students have had to become turtles and pretty much carry their houses with them. That was what was not off the charts was spending on apparel and accessories for back to school. But even that exceeded what retailers kind of thought was going to happen because they were planning for about down 20%. They didn't get that. So I would say, even though everybody said it started slow, it wasn't good, turned out that back to school was started slow, ran long, and exceeded last year's numbers. What's holiday going to look like? Well, you know, yeah, it's going to be interesting. It'll probably, it will be the most online holiday season in history. But then again, that's been true for every holiday season since 1999. It will also be long and drawn out. It'll start early and it'll end late, just like back to school. There'll be fewer extreme days because in-person traffic will be light, even on Black Friday. But will it be good, bad, or ugly? With apologies to Sergio Leone. (laughs) Well, um, holiday sales will be less than last year. Probably uh, 90% of last year. But discounting will be lower than last year. Conversion will be higher. And so will gross margins. Post-holiday sales cannot be strong because there will not be enough leftover inventory. But again, post-holiday sales will be better at gross margin than last year. So when I say holiday sales will be 90% of last year, you shouldn't assume that I mean retail sales as reported in the quarter by the government will be down 10%. They won't. The retail sales, as reported, and what we measure is holiday sales, they aren't the same animal. The consumer's healthy, but apparel and accessory sales, which are a big part of holiday sales, are not. And those will be light. That's my view on holiday. Interesting. Chris, you want to add to that? Yeah, I'll try to I'll try to put some color on that. I mean, I think first I'll take back to school, take it in order here by the holidays. I think, you know, from back to school, I think yeah, I mean, by all indications and all indices I've seen, you know, I think it's been a, a season that's been, you know, down relative to what people have seen before. I mean, I think I was looking at data from Numerator the past week that just the last week of August was the first time you kind of hit that level for traditional school supplies. So, you know, I agree with what was just said is that we still don't know what's to come. It's probably going to come a little bit later than it traditionally has as, you know, different municipalities are still trying to figure out how they're going to handle all this. Uh, but it's, it's definitely been different and, and, and likely lower than what we've seen in the past. I think Halloween, I think Halloween's going to be rough. I mean, I think when you look at what Halloween has going against it, you're going to have less parties. You're going to have less trick-or-treating. Therefore, you're going to have less costume sales. You're going to have less candy. I've had some people tell me, hey, you're forgetting about decor because people are going to want to outfit their house that way. Yes, maybe that's true, but I don't see that making up the ground. I think there's, there's more bullets in the chamber against Halloween than, say, back to school if you just think about it intuitively. 
Thanksgiving, however, I think Thanksgiving is going to be big. I think this is going to be like the biggest food feast year we've ever seen. So if you're in the grocery business around Thanksgiving, I think get ready. I mean, like we want to spend time with our friends and families. This is made for that, right? And then what do we actually have as a pastime? The one single pastime we have right now is the NFL. And so people are going to be all geared up around this. So I think for the grocery segment, that's big. On the holiday side, I agree. The two big themes for me are it's going to move up. You've got this whole thing around like 10-10. That's a whole other idea that I'm not a huge fan of, but I think you're going to see the season move up. And then the other big point is that activity, those last four days between the 21st and the 25th are going to be insane from a curbside pickup and a buy online pickup in store perspective, unlike anything we've ever seen, because people can't just rush into the store. And so what impact that has on what retailers are ready for that, I think is still going to remain to be seen. And what impact that has on the bottom line is still going to be an interesting question too. But those are the two big things for me for holiday. But yeah, I agree with what was said. I think overall, you know, we still should have a pretty effective holiday season, depending on the economic situation, of course, too, and what happens with the stimulus from here on out. Yeah, I like what I'm hearing. So, so Chris, uh, you have become quite the expert on all things Amazon. I guess you are. <laughs> so I'd love to get to, so I'd love to get your views on on a few things that uh, Bezos is doing and the impact on the industry. Um, first, how how do you see the delayed Amazon Prime Day affecting the traditional industry? And also tell us. Uh, about the impact of Amazon and grocery, which you were just talking about a minute ago, Amazon Fresh, more go grocery stores and so forth. And and what does it all mean? Give us a little background here. Yeah, I think to the first point, I mean, I've actually been predicting that Amazon could have had a preemptive Black Friday with its own Prime Day since 2017. I think retailers actually got a little bit lucky in the sense that coronavirus happened to show them that this could indeed be the case. Because uh, who knows if Amazon would even have been contemplating this regardless of COVID-19. And so now everyone's having to move it up. So I think it's almost become a moot point to a certain degree in the sense of now we all just have to be ready to be more promotional much, much earlier in the season. The more important factor to me is the second part of your question, which is, you know, what's going on with grocery? I think what's crazy to think about is in the span of, I think, just the last two weeks, and there was even a seven-day period where Amazon's opened up two new grocery stores. You know, they had a, it's a roughly 30 to 40,000 square foot store in Woodland Hills, California. Then they opened up another 10,000 square foot Amazon Go grocery store in Washington. And they're moving fast and heavy into that category of business. And I think when you start to think about it in terms of what the technology means in that Go setup, where it's all based on computer vision, it's all checkout free, that is really going to change the convenience dynamic of how we potentially can shop for our groceries. We know Amazon's great on the fulfillment side, but to be able to go into that experience and have something that's more convenient and more checkout free in the long run could be really compelling for people. And especially if you also factor in some of the safety dynamics that I think are happening right now amid the pandemic too, in terms of what that shopping experience starts to look like. So I think you have to really look hard at what Amazon's doing in grocery and and pay pretty close attention to it. Yeah, I think Jan has probably got a lot to say about that. Uh, Jan, you want to jump in for a second on that? I think I just agree with everything you said. I think that uh, Amazon's been a pretty terrible online or brick-and-mortar grocery. They've been a pretty terrible brick-and-mortar store, and now they're starting to step up their game, and we knew they would. 
but uh, I don't I don't disagree with anything I just heard. Well, I'm just going to throw this out, and you guys have heard it from me before. <laughs> you know, Amazon is acquiring their way into the physical world, okay? And I said the most stupid uh, thing they could have uh, acquired was Whole Foods. Why didn't they go after Kroger? I mean, if they want to get into it, they could do it overnight, right? Anyway, that's that's a whole side discussion. <laughs> but, but you know, yeah, so they're going to – so what are they going to do? They spend billions of dollars doing it on their own, and how long is it going to take them, you know? Anyway, we'll see. I think Walmart is uh, their biggest headache as well. But now, back to you, Chris. Uh, On Kohl's, (laughs) how long until Michelle Goss also gives over her firstborn to Amazon? (laughs) I was wondering where you are going to go with this. Man, I I think that's funny. I think it's a little bit related to what you were saying about Kroger. I think, you know, why does Amazon not go after Kroger? Because they don't need Kroger. I think the beauty of what Amazon does and how they think is they say, how do we disrupt you and do it in a simpler, more cost-effective way from a resource utilization perspective? And the funny thing about Kohl's is they're basically opening the kimono to them. Uh, to me, it's not about, you know, until she gives the first board. It's almost how much will she pay Amazon to take the first board, right? I mean, they've got the returns program. There's now rumors they're going to put Amazon Go inside of those stores, which I think is the perfect location for that. If I'm worried, if I'm anyone, I'm worried about that. I'm worried I'm Target because then you've got the full one-stop shop in a suburban strip mall with probably a, a really convenient and dynamic grocery experience to go along with it. So there's a lot of things that just link up there and make sense. And, and I, quite frankly, I can't, even though I think it's kind of funny, the question, I can't blame Coles and the CEO for doing that. I'm not sure they have another option, really, when you look at it from oh. the long run. Yeah, well, you know, I predicted also, not suggested, that Amazon should acquire Fault Coles. You did. Know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Or just create Robin and I both suggested that for as long yeah. as they need to, right? Yeah. So, Jan, um, there's an unprecedented issue that uh, many brands and retailers are dealing with right now. And with your background, you know this relationship uh, as well as anybody. And the big issue is uh, inventory. <clears throat> with no possible way to plan inventory levels, even in normal times, and flow as well as promotional activity, what's your best guess? Are we going to be low or high on inventories? Also, there's been much conversation about uh, the wholesale to retail model itself uh, being really inefficient in today's retail environment. So can you, you know, touch upon that as well? Yeah, I got strong opinions on both of those, of course. I know. Um, You know, we've been low on inventory in the system for the first time in history, I suppose, since shortly after everyone reopened their stores and, and cleared out the goods that had been sitting in the stores for the last three months. No one had ordered for opening date because nobody knew when opening date was going to be. And everything that could be canceled got canceled. So we were starting over once a reopening happened. Now we're ordered for fall in mall-based type stores at 65 to 70% of last year's volume. But we're already selling at more than that rate. So unless things slow down, which they might, because, you know, we're seeing a second resurgent wave of COVID, like we talked about. But unless that slows things down, we're going to be chasing goods all through the holiday season for mall stores. And like I said, you know, off mall, if we're ordered at 90 to 100% of last year, 
So if we're ordered at 65 to 70% of last year on mall and 90 to 100% off mall, and we're running it better than those rates in both places, respectively, and things keep improving, we'll be in this constant chase. And that will hurt sales, but it'll certainly drive margins. And then the real question will be, can we keep the expenses controlled so we can at least bring whatever we've got to the bottom line? I think that we're going to be short on inventory. I think if you don't buy it early in the season, it ain't going to be there. I think that everybody's going to be chasing goods. I think it's going to put a lot of pressure on the off-price sector because they're going to be chasing goods too. They're not going to be able to find goods. It's going to be a very interesting season because I'm trying to think of the last time we saw this phenomenon, and I think the answer is never. So, But why would they have taken the risk? Somebody said to me the other day, well, how would you have planned it? You've been planning it. And I said, well, that's easy for me. I'd have planned sales at about 90% of last year instead of 65 to 70 in the mall, except I'm not the guy that has to live with the leftover inventory when it doesn't sell. So they didn't do that. They planned it 65 to 70, and they're hoping it's 80 or 85, and they can keep up with it. And it's going to be 90, and they're not going to be able to keep up with it. But that's, that's where we're going. And regarding the wholesale to retail model, I've been laughing about this because it's inefficient, really. I mean, did the people making that argument somehow miss the success of Walmart and Target and Costco and Home Depot and Lowe's and Best Buy and the off-price industry and the dollar stores? The last time I looked, all of those stores were running the wholesale to retail model. So if you're asking about the department stores and specialty store models inefficiency, that's another question. But not the wholesale to retail model. It's clearly alive and well. I think the inefficiency that people are really talking about is the inefficiency of not going direct to consumer on the goods being highly marked up in the traditional full price channel. And yeah, I think there's inefficiency there. I've said that for years that when Macy takes a sale out of the store and puts that sale online, the ROI of their business goes down. But when Ralph takes a sale out of a Macy's and puts it online direct to consumer from Ralph, Ralph's ROI goes up. That's a direct indication of inefficiency. But we're not seeing inefficiency. That's not the wholesale to retail model. That's the, quote, old full price model. And that model has been under attack since Sam Walton opened his first store in 1962. This is not some new phenomenon. The damn thing's been inefficient forever. And it's gotten more inefficient as online has taken over the world. I think that's all we're really seeing here. And, you know, COVID has shown all kinds of rocks in the system, but this wasn't new. This has been going on for as long as you and I have been in the business. Yeah, interesting. That's a good rundown on that topic. Uh, uh, Chris, uh, Walmart, uh, they've really come on strong this year, uh, but has also been working uh, very diligently over the past few years, working on the IT infrastructure uh, to build a fully capable digital strategy, which I think they're making great strides in. It, it has really delivered, uh, I think, great performance and customer experiences like uh, Walmart Plus. So uh, can you tell us about the world of Walmart, you know, kind of big picture? And if you think what they are doing will take them, you know, through the next decade. Yeah, I, mean, I think Walmart's really well positioned. I mean, the, the, I think the, the key phrase I would use there is 4,753 stores. You know, that's what Walmart has at Amazon doesn't have. And, and that's really what I think, quite frankly, is the brilliance behind Walmart Plus. McMillan and now John Furner, I think, have just done a masterful job in understanding that the stores, similar to Amazon's philosophy, can be the center of a flywheel 
that Amazon can't touch. I mean, you look at the plus program, let's just take it for what it is right now, right? Basically it keeps, keeps pace with Amazon, even target from a delivery perspective. You can have unlimited delivery of groceries whenever you need it for just a low cost of $98 per year. Totally makes sense. What else you get with it? Well, you get discounts on gas, which, oh, by the way, those are also, also available at Sam's Club. You can get that discount at Sam's Club, which I think is interesting. It also unlocks scanning go capabilities in their app if you want to shop that way, either at the pump or in store. Those are really unique in the sense of Walmart now has a one-to-one ability to personalize and connect with that experience for whoever chooses that scan and go option. But let's take it a little bit further. What else are they doing? Well, all right. They're now uh, opening up health hubs throughout the country. What do they do with those health hubs? Well, they're $25 doctor visits, $30 dental visits, if I'm not mistaken. I might have those mixed up. I always get that confused. But start to bring that into this equation. Like, let's say I have a Walmart Plus membership, and now I can get discounts on my health care. Or a Sam's Club membership is generally 45 bucks a year. What if that's just part of my program? And now I've increased my Sam's Club membership base too. These are all things, if you start to think about it, or partnerships with ThreadUp or Shopify, where you can take online returns back to a Walmart store in a way you can't anywhere else. Those are all things where if you start to use the store as the center of that network, of a place where you can do a lot of things in the kind of new age one-stop shop for someone's time, there's just a tremendous amount of value that Walmart can unlock there. And even though we talked about Amazon trying to get into grocery, at this point, Amazon roughly has 30 or so stores in that space. They're years from being able to do this on the size and scale of Walmart. And yet Walmart has been going after this faster than anyone we've seen of late. I mean, the pace of innovation from them is just pretty remarkable. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, so Jan, this occurred to me, your 2020 retail predictions on CNBC back in December 2019, which seems like 10 years ago, you said Kohl's, Macy's, and Nordstrom were your top 2020 stock picks, and you discussed grocery online sales were only 25 to 3% and should be 20 to 50%. It pointed out that even before the pandemic, in the U.S. market, the grocery was well behind other categories in online purchases. At the time, you noted Walmart and Kroger as future winners in the online grocery model. In fact, you said, quote, unquote, we are going to see the huge growth in online groceries in the next year. I'll bet you never thought you would be so right. <laughs> if you could give us a 2021 prediction, Jan, what would you say? Well, worse than that, Robin, I don't even remember making those predictions, but I'm going to believe you. But my <laughs> prediction for 2021 is going to be that we will not have death, famine, war, and conquest to the level of 2020, and we'll have less fire, riot, looting, protest, and pandemic than 2020. Oh, and a better economy than 2020, more jobs than 2020, and better sales than 2020. See, that was easy, right? What else are we going to see? Well, Walmart and Target are not giving market share back and neither is Amazon, and neither is online in general. It's just going to go up from here. And de-densification will be real with more and more movement out of, not into, the cities, and out of the suburbs and into the country. That's not coming back. Cocooning is going to continue, so Home Depot and Lowe's won't give back that market share gain either. Local businesses that didn't go away and businesses that feel local, like Casey's, Tractor Supply, Ollie's Bargain Barn, Boot Barn, those kind of places are going to walk prosper. 
because the customer wants to feel loved and local. And the best malls will regain their cachet and the bad ones will deteriorate even further. You know, all that was kind of going to happen without COVID. It's just a lot bigger, better, and faster, right? So that's the way I see 2021. And I think by the back half of 2021, things are back to what we think of as normal, whatever the new normal is, after 18 months of what will have been pretty darn tough business. Yeah, good. So, Chris, the apparel business is scraping the bottom, as we know, most severely hit, really. But but what are the specialty and department stores going to look like next year? Uh, one point is that the work from home Zoom meters, like we are today, don't need anything other than a nice shirt, you know, flip flops. So what is your. Yeah, I think I hate to say it, but I, I actually do think this one's going to get really ugly. I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. I mean, I've kind of I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I think if. If it was, if we were using a play to describe this, it's not death of a salesman, but death of a mall. And we're about to see the third act in that play. I mean, I think the first act was e-commerce in the late nineties. The second act was the rise of the iPhone, you know, just near the, near, you know, 2007 ish. And then act three is what I think is still to come. And that, that's, what's crazy. I think when you put malls and specialty retail in perspective, it's really this whole idea of social commerce, but it's more about what is the platform for how we discover products online in, in, in a different way than we do now. Online's only been about search to find, but really search to discover as a platform really hasn't happened yet. And so if you look, those three acts are all about the commerce platform changing it. And we're due now here in 2020 for something to come about. You know, and you're starting to see this. I mean, you're seeing this with like how Facebook and Instagram are going after things, how Shopify is going after things, how Amazon and their luxury program that they just launched last week is going after things. So so you talk about death by a thousand cuts with the mall, like many of those cuts still haven't even happened yet that are going to put further yeah. pressure on this business model, regardless of COVID. Yeah, unbelievable. Okay, guys, we have to wrap it up. And I just want to thank you so much. I was very honored to have you. It was a great session. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to the Robin Report podcast series. If you want to find out more behind today's program, be sure to check out therobinreport.com and sign up for our email list for the daily digital reporting on everything of importance in the retail and related industries. The Robin Report is a trusted source of knowledge, insight, and analysis for today's retail leaders. Stay connected with Robin Lewis on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Visit our website for upcoming episodes. We look forward to your joining our next episode.